appropriate to give praise to Yahweh. So thank you, Brian. We're, we're on page 966 if you're using a Bible from the church. Otherwise, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This morning we want to read verses 13, 14, and 15 in our moments together. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every word of yours, and yet we thank you for the word that's now in front of us. Father, we would ask that by your Spirit, you would help us to see what is said in this passage, not simply so that we might know a few things more, although we thank you for that, but so that we might be further transformed into the very image and likeness of your Son, that we might be drawn to Jesus even closer, that we might see more and more of the beauty and the glory and the stunning significance of Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We've uh, taken four weeks. This is the fourth week, and we are considering um, something of the cross of Christ or the heart of the Christian faith is Christ. What God has done in His Son by the Spirit. And the essence of what Christ has done is what He has done on the cross. So we've taken four weeks. The first week we looked at how the cross rescues us. The second week we looked at how the cross reconciles us. The third week, last week, we looked at how the cross reshapes us. And now this morning, we will take our fourth look, and certainly, I'm not implying there was only four things to think about concerning the cross, but we will take a fourth look at the cross and see how the cross uh, redirects us. I think you've already alluded, seen maybe some of this, even how we've, how we've read this passage. But two things I want us to think about concerning the redirecting work of the cross for us and for our lives. First, same format we've been following the last four weeks, is something of what? Uh, what, what is the outcome of the cross's redirecting work? And then we'll look at how, something of the operation of the cross's redirecting work. First, what? What is the outcome of the, uh, of the cross's redirecting work? Well, two things I think that we would first run to and look at in this passage that speaks to two aspects, uh, not two separate things, but just two aspects of one thing of, as to how the cross does a redirecting work in our life and something of the, the, the shape or the outcome of that redirecting work. First thing Paul says in verse 
14, uh, for the love of Christ controls us. I think he's speaking here about Christ's love for us as displayed at the cross. Uh, There's something profoundly redirecting about the cross. The cross displays in a magnanimous way the the love of God, the love of Christ. And, And when that love, the love displayed at the cross is grasped, then that it, it cannot be um, casually or even occasionally embraced. When, when we see the, 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 the cross for what it is, the, the apex of, of, of God's love for his people, when, when we see that, our hearts are reoriented. And when our hearts are reoriented by the love of Christ, our lives are redirected. He says that there's something about the, the love of Christ that, that has, a, has a controlling factor in our lives. It, it, the, the Christ's love for us at the cross, when we see it, when we get it, uh, it, it becomes an overarching, life-dominating, ever-determining uh, heart engine for our lives. In other words, the first thing that Paul is saying about how the cross redirects us is that in seeing something of the love of Christ in the cross or at the cross, he, he is now controlled by that love. A second way he explains that is, is then dipping into verse 15. But finishing verse 14, he says, um, because... We have concluded this. In other words, this is the conclusion that we've reached. This is, the, this is the conviction that we now have about this controlling love of Christ, how Christ's love now controls us. He says uh, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. He's, he's really speaking about the effect that Christ's death on the cross has upon the people of God. And then verse 15, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the settled conviction of this this love of Christ at the cross that now controls Paul, that is to now control our lives as followers of Christ, the, 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 the settled conviction and conclusion that Paul reached is, is really speaking of something of the cross's influence and accomplishment in his life. The, the cross motivates us to want to no longer live for ourselves. You see, how Paul explains that is not only has he seen something of the love of Christ, Christ's love for him at the cross, but he's also seen something of the death of himself by that display of the love of Christ at the cross. In other words, this is kind of a harsh way of putting it, but what Paul is saying is that here's how I've seen the, the outworking of the love of Christ Christ loves me so much, he's put an end to me. Christ loves me so much 
that, that now I've died with him on that cross. We, we touched on that a little bit last week in how the cross reshapes us from Romans 6. But what Paul is saying is that not only has he seen the love of Christ at the cross, but he's seen the end of his life as he formerly knew it on the cross. He's still alive. He's still breathing. He wrote this letter. And yet there's something substantively different about the trajectory of his life as a result of seeing the love of Christ at the cross and seeing the end of himself at the cross. Here's how Paul said it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, this is is an odd way to speak of the depths of Christ's love in our lives. To say, how much does Christ love you and me? He loves you and me so much that it's brought about the end of you and me. I don't know that that's probably ever fallen on uh, our ears in in a in a way that's that's altogether not less than confusing. Um, Because for one thing, this is there's nothing new, but but you and I have a, a pervasive bent in our lives, um, a, 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 a commitment, if you would, a settled conviction that we will live our lives for ourselves. And what's so ironically is um, most of us have never taken any classes to know how to do that. I mean, we, we, I, I, we've not had to have official advanced training. It's just something native uh, to us in our own natural bent. I mean, did, let me just ask us the rhetorical question. Don't say the answers out loud lest we indict ourselves. But how important is it to us that we be uh, flattered or complimented or just made much of? Now, in part, while that's nothing new, in part, there's a, there's, 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 there's a, there is a, a new sense of this in some way or another, and that is the culture that we're living in is very therapeutic. And, and one of the consequences of the therapeutic culture that we live in is that we have redefined many aspects of love. Uh, defining even how it is that we are to be loved. For one thing, we have flattened love um, so that um, um, love should be the same in every context. That's just, if we think about that, that's just not the case. I mean, the, the, the way I love my wife and the way, I, the way I love my neighbor is not the same. If it, if it is, then there's trouble. It's going to be another way of talking about the end of me. Uh, now, am I supposed to love my neighbor? Yes. Am I supposed to love my wife? Yes. Does it make any difference how I do either one of those? Yes. In other words, it's not the same. In other words, every way that we are to love in, in one way, shape, or another doesn't require that love to take the, the, the same bent or shape. And, and yet we live in a culture today that is so flattened love that, 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 that 
Love is, in every context, is, is defined in this way. If you love me, you will make much of me. And if you don't make me feel special, as I define how it is you're to make me feel special, then you don't really love me. Now, these are just the natural default settings of, of where we find ourselves living and how we find ourselves operating. We, we posture ourselves and we demand to be flattered and pampered and catered to and applauded and honored and celebrated and acknowledged and thanked and saluted and, com- uh, and uh, commemorated and touted and acclaimed and, and, and cheered and credited and recognized and memorialized and extolled and commended and congratulated. Is it too much to ask that you just esteem me and worship me? Otherwise, I don't feel like you really love me. Now, none of, none of those terms that I just mentioned are inherently wrong. And in fact, it is true in the sense that if we love somebody, we would want to do some of those kinds of things for people. The problem is from the other angle, though. The problem is the sinful heart attitude that we bring that sulks and pouts until we get some of that. Do you see how radically transformational the cross is to be in our lives then? The cross confronts and moves into uh, our lives and finds us in our pretty committed, self-absorbed state. And and the cross displays the love of Christ, and yet it does so in a way that altogether surprises us in terms of the outcome. The, 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 the love of Christ at the cross does, does not enhance us to be even more self-absorbed. The cross loves us so much that it brings an end to us. It, it terminates us, if you would, from our, from our former puny existence of wanting to live just for ourselves, wanting the whole world to revolve around the centrality of our being so that the whole world knows, ought to know at least, it ought to have enough sense to know that it exists to make much of me. That's an enslaving perspective of life to live in, and the cross busts that up in our hearts and in our lives. It gives us an altogether different reason to live. It gives us a reason that we no longer fight and scratch and claw so that the world might make much of us because we are living for ourselves, but it totally abolishes that and redirects us to now no longer live for ourselves but for Christ. 
the very love of Christ redirects how we now love. And I would add, and that is really the true path of ultimate satisfaction and haplification. Is that a word? It ought to be. You see, Jesus Christ's love at the cross was not about making much of me as though I was the foundation of existence and the center of the universe. I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah. And neither are you. <laughs> Jesus Christ's love at the cross was about hitting me with a massive redirection so that I now live in a way that seeks to make much of him. Well, how? How does it do that? That's what it does. It brings about the end of me so that I I now am redirected in how I love and how I live. I I, I now have a growing disinterest in living for myself. I now have a growing interest in living for him who laid down his life for me. How how does that come uh, come about? How are you going to bust that up in someone like me? How is that going to get busted up in people like us? Well, first, first we revisit the fact that this passage reminds us that Jesus did something. What did Jesus do? Well, as, as far as it stays within this text itself, Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross for us and for our salvation. And, 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 and as he was dying on the cross for us in our salvation, he died as a substitute for our sins. In other words, he took the curse of our sins. He took the penalty of our sins. He took the, paid the debt of our sins. Diane was reading in John yesterday, as some of you guys are as well, and she was in the, the, that, the, the last day of Christ's life and where the guys smacked Jesus. And, 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 and that just greatly offended her heart. They, they, they smacked our Lord. In other words, why? Because she sees something of this incredible love of Christ in all that he was doing. And they was, he was willing to be smacked for you and I. That, that is a tremendous act of love. He would say in John 15, no greater love does one have than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Or the way it's said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Or John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
or in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You, you see, there's, there's no getting around the fact that if we get it, if we see it, that what Christ did on the cross was this incredible display of love, the love of the Father and his own love for us, for his people. But this is not um, uh, this is not the historical fact of Christ's love shown as a sacrificial, selfless love. I mean, it doesn't take a supernatural work for someone to have a category in their head that, oh yeah, there was a guy named Jesus, and uh, he came and lived, and he was God, in fact, in the flesh, and. And uh, he went to the cross, and there he died on the cross. And in other words, you, you, can, you can have a category of historical acknowledgement of, of that fact. The, the, the issue that Paul is talking about is something much more deeper and profound than just simply, oh, yeah, I know that happened. No, what Paul is talking about is what effect the love of Christ displayed at the cross had upon his life. It was a love that struck him on the road to Damascus. He was actually going down the road for the express purpose of finding some more Christians and harming them and and overseeing their death. That, 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 That was his express purpose that day. And if you were to ask him, hey, do you, what do you, what's up with Jesus? He goes, yeah, yeah, Jesus lived and he died and he, they say he rose again. Oh, but Jesus, Paul understood those facts, but, but, but that had no saving effect upon his life. It was on the road to Damascus that, 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 that what he understood on some level about the person and work of Jesus got kicked into a whole nother level of, of recognition and acknowledgement. They're, they're, at the cross, they're on the road to Damascus. Christ himself appeared to Paul and confronted him on that road. And that takes us to the second operation of, of how the cross does a redirecting work. It, it doesn't do a redirecting work simply because we would acknowledge the historical fact uh, that a guy named Jesus came and that he died on the cross and that he even rose from the dead or something like that. That's just plain history. I would add to that that, you know what, the devil doesn't even mind if you know that. I mean, for one thing, it's kind of hard to dispute uh, an accurate historical claim such as that. So he's just like, okay, look, I'm not going to spend a lot of uh, energy trying to get people to disbelieve that historical fact. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my work to try to keep people to, uh, from seeing the beauty and the glory and the stunning significance of Christ at the cross. I, I, I want people to stay blind to those realities. How Paul would say it in the chapter just previous here, in, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says this. 
In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Our enemy wants you and I to fail in seeing the beauty and the glory and the stunning significance of Christ on the cross. He wants to leave us in the dark on that one. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't care if you say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus came. I mean, after all, I'm even in church this morning. But that's not what we're talking about. What kind of effect does the death of Jesus, does the love of Jesus through his cross have upon the ordering of our daily lives? Gratefully, the Spirit of God does an operational work in the hearts and lives of the people of God. He would say in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God who said, just after coming off the heels of saying, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep us from seeing um, the, uh, the, from 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 seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, in verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, what, what imagery do you have when you, when you hear that? I, I think of Genesis chapter 1, when God just says, I want some light around here. And so how does God get light around here? He just says, let there be light. Boom, there it is. You know, and, and so in that same imagery of every power of the spoken word of God, the spirit of God who just says, I want some light around here, and all he has to do is just say it, and then there's light. It's the same imagery of how, how does God conquer the blinding work of Satan to keep us from seeing the beauty and the glory and the stunning significance of Christ's love at the cross? How does he do it? He just has to speak that word into our hearts. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, it's the, it's the operational work of God's Spirit to show us the significance of what Christ has done at the cross in showing and displaying his love for us. When we see Jesus as the Spirit of God himself shows us Jesus, then we become controlled by the love of God. Until the Spirit shows us the stunning beauty and glory and majesty of the love of Christ at the cross, we're apt to look at the cross and go, huh, that's interesting. Uh, what time is it? You see, we're ready to move on to something else. We're, we're, we're bored with the whole Jesus religion kind of thing. And just, it's time to get on to the big stuff of life. No, but when we, when we are shown the glory and the beauty of the love of Jesus at the cross as the Spirit shows it 
to us, then we no longer have a settled desire to live for ourselves. We now begin to have a growing desire to live for the very one whom we now see, the very one whom God has shown into our hearts. Does that reflect any of us? Are, are, we, are, we, are we something more than just simply a people who acknowledge the historical factuality of Jesus and his death on the cross? Is it something that we historically acknowledge, but it plays no shaping role in our daily thought and emotions and choices and living? Or is it something that has now been shown to us to be so real that that, that now we can't seem to motor throughout the day without thinking about the controlling love of Christ in our lives? How the love of Christ would therefore affect what we're about to do next, what we're about to think of, what we're, how we're about to feel, what we're about to say. That, that in fact, uh, our, our controlling factor, uh, it, it becomes an issue of how can I quit my former ways of living for myself and how can I begin to foster and cultivate ways of, of living for Christ? But see, this is fluid. Hmm. At least maybe I should speak for myself. It's fluid for me. We, we fluctuate. Uh, while by the, by the Spirit of God shows us the, the beauty and the glory and the stunning significance of the love of Christ at the cross, our hearts, our hearts wander and our eyes look around. So it's a constant battle, something that Paul would, would say in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He says, but, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a, sh- from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you ex- accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it ready enough. You see, our enemy is still, while he doesn't have that controlling, blinding effect upon us, he would still like to deceive us, to get us to look away from Jesus. And therein lies the daily challenge in our lives, that the cross is not just something that occurred 2,000 years ago. The cross is something that has to be played out each and every day of our existence, that we have to still be controlled by the love of Christ displayed at the cross. And for us, the battle is always first and foremost about doing what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, for the love of Christ to control us implies that we are fighting and scratching with every uh, amount of effort we can 
by the enablement of the Spirit to keep Jesus at the forefront of our daily lives. Or the way Paul would say it in Colossians chapter 3, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above. And and I take that to mean when he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above. He's really saying, look to Jesus. Think about Jesus. Cultivate affections in our hearts toward Jesus. I got another alert today. It happens. I don't know if it comes to everybody at the same time or just like it, but, but about 9.15 this morning, it, it, uh, my phone sent me uh, its weekly update on how much screen time I have spent this week, daily screen time. Does your phones do that for you? Or is there a way to turn that irritating thing off? So, uh, it's, it's embarrassing how much, how much time it says that I spend staring at my phone. And I know that there's, there's complicated twists in that. Sometimes I'm looking at my Bible through my phone, you know, whatever, so I can justify all kinds of, of glances and gazes. But how many, how much time do we spend thinking about setting our face toward the cross of Christ, beholding the love of Christ for us at the cross to the extent that we lose an interest in living for ourselves? And we gain new motivation to live for him who laid down his life for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross of Christ, the incredible love of God shown to us through the death of Jesus. And Father, we want to not simply know that as a matter of information. Father, we want that love of Christ to have such an a controlling effect upon us that our lives are redirected, transformed. So help us, Father. Help us to see Jesus in our daily lives and help us that we might, in seeing Jesus, no longer live for ourselves but for the one who has laid down his life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.